So we are in our last Sunday of our Under the Sun series. If we have uh, gone through and processed through the book of Ecclesiastes together, and so we titled it Under the Sun because in Ecclesiastes, that's a repetitive phrase that shows up a good bit, and it just reveals the fact that nothing is new under the sun, that nothing escapes who God is. And so we've kind of taken some time to ask various questions and, and dive in to look uh, at this book and at our lives the way that uh, Solomon did. As Solomon not, is not necessarily the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, but as we have said throughout this series, he is the influence of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we wanted to take a chance just to take a deep breath and look at the beauty of Solomon's reflections throughout this book. And so, you know, this, this series, as I, I, I said in our, uh, our meeting that we have, our production meeting, this series has been, been hard for me um, as a, I guess, new, a new pastor, a new preacher. Um, and so you, you have to kind of consider it, uh, I guess, compare it to maybe like a roller coaster. So I'll tell you, Kenny Wood, if you haven't been, go. Uh, the Steel Phantom is probably one of the most intense roller coasters I've ever been on. Um, that second drop um, on that roller coaster is crazy. You hop on that thing and you're like, okay, life is good. And then you hit that second drop and you're like questioning your life decisions. And you're like, I don't, I don't know about this. This is, this is hard. This is fast. This is like even hurting my neck. God bless those that rode it before they took that loop out. Apparently, like people were coming out with broken necks and arms. And I mean, Pittsburgh don't play, man. Like we, they, we roll deep now. Um, and so we have those things in life that, that are, are hard, but totally worth it. And so uh, you probably notice I'm sitting down today. Um, I did something uh, similar to that this weekend. And this is not an effort to flex in front of anyone that I am stupid enough, but it's more of a, a confession to say your, your pastor's an idiot and, and you need to question my life's decision. Um, with some guys, I um, started in Cumberland, Maryland on Friday at three o'clock and we together through like passing uh, the torch along ran 150 miles to Pittsburgh yesterday. Um, so we met our goal. We got it in 23 hours and 45 minutes. We want to try to do it in sub-24. Um, and so my legs hurt a little bit. So I'm, I'm fearful that like my legs are going to cramp up while I'm standing up here. So I'm sitting down in a little bit just to like take a, you know, because my legs hurt. So, but some of that is it, it was hard, you know, running from um, Confluence PA to Ohio Pile um, is about an eight-mile stretch. And it was it was at 2 a.m. There's a sheer rock face on one side and a raging river on the other. And I just happened, just by the only grace of God, to say, hey, grab your flashlight. And so I grabbed my flashlight. I never run with a flashlight. I always run with a headlamp. Well, when I turned my headlamp on and started running, I got about 100 yards in. I couldn't even see the trail. It was so foggy from the, the fog coming off of the river. And so luckily I had the flashlight to be able to guide me or I'd have been in the river somewhere down. Uh, God knows where I'd be by now because uh, I can't swim very well. So um, Ohio Pile seems beautiful. You can't see it in the middle of the night. So if you've ever been there before, you can tell me about it. Um, I'll figure it out one day. Um, but doing things that are hard you know, it challenges us, it pushes us. But a lot of times when we do it, when we get through it, when we get past the hard part of it, it can be totally worth it. And I'll tell you, that was, that was one of the things that Ecclesiastes was for me. And it was, it was difficult, and it really made me ask a lot of questions. 
Um, your homework, and we said this in the very first sermon, your homework was, was to be prepared to ask questions, deep questions of yourself and each other. And there was a statement that was made, and it was referenced several times, is that uh, the book of Ecclesiastes was, was written with the, the mentality of Eastern philosophy in mind, where questions are okay, that there's this, there's this willingness to accept this gray matter in between. We come from this Western philosophical culture where it's black or it's white, it's, it's polarized, it's Republican or it's Democrat, it's Steelers or it's everybody else. And like we know who to root for, it just is what it is. And if you root for somebody else, you're wrong. And we question who you are. And, but that's the, that's the mentality that we live in is this polarizing um, philosophical thought. And that's not how Ecclesiastes was written. So we, we really had to wrestle with some implied questions throughout the book. And one thing that was presented to you, and it's a quote that, that Kinder um, said in one of the commentaries, is this, it says, Triviality is more stifling than tragedy. And the shrug is the most hopeless of all comments on life. It's so easy for us in our Western mindset when questions just kind of bombard us for us just to say, I don't know. And never go through the process of just sitting in that question for a little bit and resting in that question and realizing that, you know what, I don't need an answer right now. But man, I need to wrestle with this question. And so it's my prayer in these past uh, five times that we've, we've discussed the book of Ecclesiastes is that we as a congregation have wrestled and asked each other some of these questions that Solomon was asking himself. And, you know, so I'll share with you some of the questions that were asked. Uh, you can see it says some of the questions that were asked um, was, what does it mean for you to light, uh, for your delight to be in the Lord and not in your pursuit of pleasure? What does it mean for your satisfaction to come from the Lord himself and not your achievements, being in the achievement-oriented culture that, that we're in, your pastor. I am a very achievement-oriented person. What does it mean for your spiritual satisfaction, your spiritual comfort, your spiritual checkboxness to come from the fear of the Lord and not this religious activity that we get into so often, coming to church, checking off a box, throwing some money in the plate, whatever else it may be. And what does it mean for your satisfaction to come from the fear of the Lord and not the meaninglessness of your control? What does that mean for you to rest in these questions, to wrestle with these questions? These, some of these questions were very offensive to my heart and hurt my feelings sometimes, I'll be honest. Just like when your legs start hurting and you've trained for a run, you're like, man, this stinks. It just stinks. Like, I trained for this. Like, I thought I had this. I thought I, I, thought I was going to be able to get past this. And so you keep rolling and you keep grinding, and here we keep resting in these questions. So Solomon, his triviality, it wasn't tragedy here because he kept moving. He kept pushing forward. He didn't shrug. He asked these questions, and he demanded within himself answers. We didn't get a chance to fully see all those answers in Scripture. 
And so let's see what he said at the end of the book. Let's see what he said. Let's flip over to the end. If you ever read, I was actually talking to Everett the other day about the Hardy Boys. And, you know, you, you could flip over. If you, if you were in the Hardy Boys culture, you could flip to the back last chapter and read the last chapter and know, okay, all right, the Hardy Boys are going to live. Like, everything's going to be okay. I don't have to read the rest, but I still want to read the rest and know how they get there to see how, what they have to overcome to live. So we're going to jump into the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to stand together. Um, so I invite you, if you would, stand, and I will do that very gingerly, but um, stand, and we're going to read just the very end. I don't know if it's even going to be up there, Steve. I, I'm sorry to throw this, this loop to you. He hates it when I do this. We are definitely going to read um, verse 13. But we stand together as a congregation because we rest on the truth of the Word of God. Don't listen to what Chris says today. And this is actually going to be a challenge here at the end is go back to God's word. This word has stood for thousands of years. We can go back to this. We can rest in this. So let's just read verse 13. It says that's what we have on the screen. It says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, when every question has been wrestled with, when we stop and we think and we process, what does Solomon say? He says, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So growing up as a kid of the 80s and 90s, uh, late night TV was ruled um, by Johnny Carson and then later by David Letterman. And anybody remember David Letterman? Don't raise your hand or you'll show your age. Um, but David Letterman um, had this. He, he, he hosted the, the late night shows for 33 years. And every show he did something um, that was called a top 10 list. So he would take his top 10 list and he'd read it. And, and you know, he was way funnier than me. But he would um, read it and then he would throw the card and it was just kind of what it was and he'd move on. And so, you know, as we've wrestled with these questions, there's things that have kind of like, I think, come into me that, that have been offensive at times and even encouraging at times. I've heard uh, statements come back from the congregation, come back from you. I've had these random text messages that I absolutely love because I love random text messages. So if you like to send random text messages, send them to me, not Zach, because he ignores most of my text messages um, during the week because they're random. Um, but I like that. And so I've received some just interesting feedback um, related to this. So this is Chris's, Pastor Chris's top 10 list from Ecclesiastes, from what we've, what we've wrestled with together. Um, so this is like, as uh, uh, Trevin Wax said in a sermon, he, he re reminded me of the quote, this is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. This is just one questionable guy telling other not questionable people because I love y'all. Like, hey, this is some things that we're just processing through, rolling through some people's hearts as we unpack um, Ecclesiastes. So number one, I am guilty as charged. I caused the separation. My attempt to fix it is worth, um, is, I'm sorry, fix it is further breaking it. Grasping for control, that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They reached for the apple. What God provided wasn't good enough. 
So I'm going to provide my own thing. I reach for it. We take the apple. We, we understand the knowledge of good and evil. And then ever since that point in time, we keep grasping for control. The very thing that broke it is the very thing we seem to be doing to try to fix the problem. And we know how that goes. All right, we have a problem. This is, I am the kid myself. I've had to realize this, that I am the, I'm the kid with chocolate on their face. That's like, what do you have for breakfast? Nothing. There's chocolate on your face. I don't know where that came from, all right? That's, that's me. You know, I'm a fixer. I, I want answers when the questions are asked. I'm the one that goes and gets answers. And so I, I realized throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've seen in a lot of your hearts that you're very similar, that we have this, this desire to do it our own way. And that's not what necessarily we were intended to do. God has given us so much more. I am guilty. I have to accept responsibility for that. Number two, sometimes asking the questions without an expectation of an immediate answer is okay. Sometimes asking your heart the question, what are you longing for? What are you trying to fill that longing with? Sometimes resting in that question is okay. And sometimes when we don't get an answer, when we're, when we're crying out to this holy, incredible God, God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Why is this paradox of life affecting me right now? When we don't get the answer that we want, it's not an I don't care it's one of those statements, it's a, it's a not yet. Let us sit in that question. Let us rest in that question. Number three, nothing escapes God's attention. Nothing escapes God's attention. We see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon keeps acknowledging the, the powerful, the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient power of God, the transcendent power that only God, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, the God of our Bible has. That he spoke creation into being. There was, there was nothing, and then there is something. That's the God that we get to serve. There's nothing that escape, escapes God's attention. I have been able to rest in that over this series. The other day, uh, Edie, um, I'm going to put Edie's business on blast a little bit. Edie's my youngest daughter. She's eight years old. She is like my mini-me, sadly. Um, and she was having a hard day. And I was like, I think I know what's wrong. So I kind of like just gathered her up as a dad would and put her in my arms. And I started praying. I was like, you know, Edie was like, I, I, something's bothering me, but I don't know what it is, yada, yada, yada. So I started praying. I was like, God, you know the hairs on Edie's head. And God, you're, you're all powerful and you're all knowing. And man, I'm just praying this like powerful prayer. I mean, laying it out there, man. My heart is like full. Like I'm almost in tears. And Edie goes, Dad, you know the food's getting cold. And I was like, yeah, nothing escapes God's attention or, or an eight-year-old, right? So very humbled by that. Number four, everything is Hebel. Everything is Hebel. We define Hebel as, as sometimes it's defined as vanity or meaninglessness. It's a vapor, a smoke. It's something that you think is there that when you reach the touch it, there's nothing. Everything is Hebel, not in and of itself. 
We're not saying that things don't exist. We don't say that pleasure isn't there. We don't say that there is this need for us at times to have control of various circumstances. There's, there's achievement. Achievement's not a bad thing in and of itself. But it's hebel when we compare it to a true understanding of who God is. You know, my brother, one time, we were, I have a brother, he's a couple years older than me, he has, he's a, a person with autism and doesn't always understand social situations. And so we're in this big men's gathering, 200 people in the gym, and Bobby Richardson is speaking. I don't know if you know who Bobby Richardson is, but Bobby Richardson is one of the greatest second basemen um, that has ever, ever lived. He played for the Yankees back in the 60s, and 50s and, 50s and 60s, actually from, of all places, Sumter, South Carolina. Debbie's all excited. So... So he was speaking at a men's function that my church was, was having, and, and Chip won the signed picture of the infield, the famous Yankees infield of Bobby Richardson and, and um, Cleet Boyer and Tony Kubak and, and, and Joe Pepitoni. He won this picture. So he's going up there to get this picture, and like everybody's like, oh, I wanted that picture so bad. Oh, that picture could be worth a lot of money. And what does my brother do? But he like snatches it out of Bobby Richards' hand and like shoves it in his back pocket and walks back to his seat. And everybody's like, (laughs) just baffled. But we realize as we consider everything being hebel, when we compare it to a true understanding of who God is, that our behavior changes when we understand value. When we understand value our behavior changes. Number five, blank is great. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. Pleasure is a great thing. Uh, control can be a great thing at times. You don't want to lose control. You're even told to have self-control, part of the fruit of the Spirit. Achievement, it's a great thing. It's a horrible God. So many things are great things, but they're a horrible, horrible God. That role has been taken. If we put things in the role of God, we're doing something wrong. That has been incredibly, incredibly offensive to me. Number six, the true gift is the giver of the gift. We said over and over again, the giver of all good things gives us good things so that we realize not how good that thing is, but to realize how good the giver is, how good God is. The true gift is the giver of the gift. That's who we worship. We don't worship creation. Let us worship the creator. Number seven, we learn from the experiences and wisdom of others. Thank you, Solomon, for pouring out all your stupidity. Thank you, Solomon. We're blessed with that. Zach calls this dumb tax, and he says that all the time. All right, we can, we can learn from other people's mistakes. All right, if somebody touches the pot, and the pot is hot, and they're like, ah, oh, that pot is hot, don't go touch the pot. All right? It's like your mommy used to say, if your friend jumps off the bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge? Like, we can learn from the the mistakes and the reflections of others. Let us be humble in doing that. Number eight, our misguided misappropriation of resources. This is the beauty. This is is beauty. 
It's redeemable. The time that we have missed our, our misguided misappropriation of resources, our misguided misappropriation of control, our misguided misappropriation of pleasure seeking, our misguided misappropriation of religious activity, it's redeemable. We can look in, in Ecclesiastes 12, 9 and 10. It says, after all Solomon's reflections, it says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher, pointing to Solomon, also taught the people knowledge and pondered um, And he pondered, and he searched out and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. Our discipleship groups have been reading through the book of Proverbs. A lot of those come from Solomon. And a lot of those come from Solomon's misguided misappropriation of resources. Because the other way is Hebel. As Alistair Begg said, and we said it last week in the sermon... Our burden maker, sometimes when we kind of junk it up and God allows us to get what we want, not what we need, and we realize, dang, this ain't what I thought it was, our burden maker always wants to become our burden taker. He wants to redeem it. He paid that price. He did that for us. Number nine, fearing God leads to obedience which then leads to a deeper reverential awe that's what we define fear of God fear is not scared phobia fear but it's a reverential awe fearing God leads to obedience which leads to a deeper reverential awe which then leads to deeper obedience which then leads to even deeper reverential awe which leads to deeper obedience we realize here in Ecclesiastes Solomon in all his reflections was like man this is hard Man, this didn't go the way I wanted it to do. Never equated God, God to a cosmic killjoy. Never equated God to that. He's never trying to steal things from you. He's giving constantly. A couple quotes of, of a book that I read um, a couple months ago reminded me of this. something I pray, I have in my prayer app that I pray through and just remind myself. Uh, John Piper in his book, Dawn of Instruct- Indestructible Joy, says every time God commands something of us, every time he expects obedience from us, from that fear of God, from that reverential awe, it's not him trying to be that cosmic killjoy. It's actually his way of telling us how he wants to serve us. He wants to hand us this on a silver platter, the beauty of what he has for us. He also says the path of obedience is the place where Christ Jesus meets us as our servant, not as our master, but as our servant to carry our burdens and to give us his power. He wants us to fear him because he's worthy to be feared, because he knows. And finally, number 10, the frustration stemming from brokenness that We all experience constantly. You turn on the news and you realize just how broken this world is, how frustrating things are. You look at your own life and you're like, oh, God, I wish I could have lived up to this, or why did I put all those resources there? Why did I do this? Or whatever it may be, the, the, the frustration stemming from the brokenness that we experience is not comparable to the glory that is to come. We put it on a continuum. And I'm not minimizing your struggles in any way, shape, or form. That's horrible for me to do. And if you need someone to work through those, we are here. That's why we're together as a body of Christ. We lock arms together. 
to get through things. Life is not meant to be lived alone. Discipleship groups, you're going through made for friendship right now. We're seeing a mirror of that in our hearts. But when we put it on a continuum, we realize, man, the struggle that we experience compared to the glory that is to come is infinite. Man, when God brings good things, it's going to be amazing. So one thing I want to give as, we, as we're working towards closing out this series is a couple like New Testament implications. Ecclesiastes is a hard book to study. It's a, it's a book that is a lot of reflections, and if you take things literally, it probably means it was figuratively meant, and if you take things figuratively, it probably was literally meant, and so there's times that you have to be really careful as you handle the word in regards to Ecclesiastes, as this is a, a person just laying it all out there. And if you laid it all out there and somebody kind of misused your words, you'd be kind of upset about that. And so we have to be very careful with that, but there's, there's implications pointing back to Ecclesiastes throughout Scripture. And these are some, 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 some uh, passages of Scripture that have meant a lot to me in my life. And, and as I've studied through this and wrestled with this and things have been offensive to me or confusing to me or frustrating to me as I've read Solomon's words, I've been able to be pointed back and reminded of just some beauty that there is throughout the word of God. So I'm hoping that this is like, this is, I'm hoping just to be like the little old lady that sits behind the table at Costco. And you're like rolling through there. Now we used to go to Sam's Club when I was a kid and my grandmother, that's, that's where we would eat lunch. Like we'd roll in there, we'd run around Sam's and like just, we'd be stealing samples. All right, I've repented for that. It's all good. I'm past that now. But you know that little, the little lady that sits there and she's so sweet, but man, you know she a wolf in sheep's clothing because those little bagel bites you didn't know you needed, you about to go home with like 10 packs of them because them things good because you hungry right now. So I'm hoping to be that as I present to you just some beautiful, beautiful scripture that points and uses some and leverages some of the words of Solomon. So let's together read through a few passages of Scripture, the first one being Romans 8. So warm up your thumbs or your fingers or, or whatever else. It's going to be up on the screen as well. But my, my, my hope is that you, you came just with a little bit of a hunger. You get to taste that bagel bite, and you're going to go home, and you're really going to, you're going to dive in these, in these passages. That's what we would long for you to do. That's why the Word of God, we typically stand when we read it at least one point in time. Because we want to stand on God's Word. So the first passage of Scripture, this points to the long game. This points to the promises that are to come. This is reminding us that what we have and are dealing with right now is but very small compared to the glory that Christ Jesus is going to bring us in the end. And so we have to go to Romans 8.18. And there's just so much beauty in Romans 8. I pray for the opportunity to, to preach through a series of Romans 8 because it is just amazing. But, but Romans 8, 18 through 25, I'm just gonna read it. Let us just soak it in. Here we go. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is, be, is, is to be revealed to us for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to the corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know 
that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We have eternal hope within our temple brokenness. We have eternal hope through Christ Jesus. The brokenness that you're experiencing now, again, is but a snippet of the glory that is to come. And our hope isn't in the right now. As we see in, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon kind of screaming out like, man, I put all my eggs in this basket and it wasn't worth it. And then I put all my eggs in this basket and it wasn't worth it. And I put all my eggs in this basket and it wasn't worth it. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis said that, you know, there's this, there's this level that we have to realize that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the only explanation is that I was made for another world. We're made for so much more. You know, something had to happen to invite us into this. All of creation is broken, not just people. Even physical creation is broken. Something had to happen to invite us into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is it that's giving us that access to the new world? We have to point to Jesus. We have to point to what Jesus did for us on the cross and his death and his burial and his resurrection. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's where our hope comes from. Not from our own works. Not from putting our eggs in a certain basket. But from Jesus. So let's hear what Jesus has to say. Flip back in your Bibles to the Gospels. Matthew 6. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount tells the people some very pointed words. He was challenging cultural norms throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to this section, and this section is just insanely beautiful. If you want to just go and read a passage of Scripture over and over and over again, this is one that our culture could read a thousand times, and it would be as if we just read it once. Because it challenges so much of who we are in our culture. So Jesus, what do you have to say? What's your perspective, Jesus? He says in verse uh, Matthew 6, verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even who? Solomon. Not even Solomon. 
in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will I eat or what will I drink or, or what will I wear for clothing? For the, for the Gentiles is what they say, but those that are disconnected from Jesus, those that don't understand who God is, they eagerly seek these things, these, these temporal things. For your heavenly Father knows what you need. And he knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So when he says in here, do not worry or be anxious. It's like overly concerned about, being consumed with concern. You know, the realization that when we read this, we, it's acknowledged from Jesus that our need is so great. But he's also screaming out, yeah, your need is great. You have this desire, just as, just as Solomon did. He stretched all these boundaries. Your need is great, but my provision is so much more. My provision is so much more. Sinclair Ferguson says the basic necessity of life Life's servants, as it were, the desire for food and clothing and, and achievement and control and pleasure, whatever it may be, it's, it's like they become our masters. They become our masters. And then we, we have to go back and realize the quote that David shared with us in, in, in the pleasure, ser- pleasure sermon. If we, consider, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. So our need is so great, we want that need met, but the provision is so much more. We long for food, but the birds of the air have constant food. They're not, they're not sowing and reaping. The lilies of the field, of course, they may be long to be beautiful, but Solomon in all of his glory and his, and his adjusted for inflation wealth of $2 trillion could never be as clothed as fine as one of those. We find that our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased. Fear God, reverential all, obey Him, seek first His kingdom. And his righteousness and everything else will be added. Enjoy today. Longing for control makes us think constantly about tomorrow. Enjoy today. Rest in today. Tomorrow will come. Jesus says, wait and see. Rest in me. I got this. The disciples in this point in time had not experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They had no idea what was to come. They're as thick-headed as I am. Even when it came, they didn't know it came. Jesus is just constantly like, just wait and see. I got you. I got you. I got you. Don't worry about today. 
Worry about today. Take care of today. You can worry about tomorrow or later. Enjoy today. Rest in today. And then finally, a passage that has, has come up a lot in my heart is Philippians 3. Philippians 3. This is Paul's like, take on this. And this is where we'll end. Philippians 3, 4 through 14. In verse 4 it says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And I love the fact that I'm sitting in front of incredibly capable people. Because this is an indictment to all of us. Does anybody in here have confidence to put in the flesh? Yes, you do. You are incredibly educated. You're incredibly capable. We sit here together as the top 1% earners in the world, all of us. You might not think you have anything, but trust me, we do. If anybody in here has confidence um, to put any, any confidence in the flesh, sorry, I far more. This is Paul talking. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. He found himself to be justified by every human standard. But whatever these things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, not having a righteousness of my own from religious practices, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul had more benefits than most Israelites. He had access to pleasure. He had access to achievement. Religious activity was constant. He found himself to be justified based on the law for everything that he did. He had control. He was elevated in his society to control various people and control various circumstances. And he counted it all as hevel, as meaninglessness. His vapor. He basically pointed it back to the essence of everything that I have and that I am. It's fearing God and obeying Him. Came to the same conclusion that Solomon did. Fear God. Obey Him. Reverential all leading to obedience. Constant obedience constant resting in who God is. And the thing that gives us hope among so much that he stated in here is verse 12, I would say that not, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. This is the apostle 
Paul, a guy who wrote a lot of our Bible, (laughs) a stalwart of the faith. He says, I haven't attained it yet, but I press on that I may lay hold of it. I press on, I keep pushing. I do not regard myself of having laid hold of it yet in verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Those mistakes are redeemable. The times that I've put my eggs in the wrong basket, that's redeemable. Not because I did anything, but because of what Christ did. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. In what? In Christ Jesus. And so I have to turn the cheese meter up to like 150% right now, okay? Because our series was titled Under the Sun. Because there's nothing that escapes who God is. We see that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon did not have the beauty of, of realizing what the promise, how the promise was going to be fulfilled. All of, all of the Jewish scriptures and, and, and ceremonies and feasts, everything pointed to something. What does it point to? Solomon didn't have the beauty of that because it all pointed to Jesus, which came thousands of years later. And so we see that God fulfilled all of his promises through one person, through himself, through his death, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's the good news for what we have. So we're going to change that sun from under the sun, S-U-N, to we live now. Everything falls under the sun. When we rest in who Jesus is, everything can be made right. Will it be made easy? No. Will it be made perfect? Not now. Not yet. But Jesus came to solve the problem, the brokenness that we experience under the sun. So I'll leave you an equation. A lot of you are math folks. You know I'm not. And Paul states it here. When we take Jesus, we rest in who Jesus is and we get to know who Jesus is and we, we develop this reverential awe of who God is through what he did through Jesus Christ and, and then you take away everything else as Paul said. We still have everything. We still have everything. Jesus is absolute value. He is everything for us. If we have Jesus, then we have enough. Everything else is hebel. Everything else falls away. Let us rest in that. So it's, it's my prayer that the bagel bites that were just served of Romans and Philippians and Matthew and other scriptures that might come to mind. If you have one, send it to me. I would love, I would love to meditate upon it. I pray that you'll, you'll, you'll read these. Read over them constantly. Listen to them. Meditate upon them. Memorize them. Whatever it may be. Scripture is beautiful to point us back to truth. That's why we stand when we read it. Because it points us to Jesus points us to what he did for us. So that leads us into a time of communion, our communion reflection. So we made a statement last week that we're gonna continuously kind of remind our church body of. It says the Lord's Supper, communion is is a symbolic and sanctifying act of faithful obedience. 
whereby followers of Jesus, after proper self-examination, after what I hope that we, we did some throughout this series, and through partaking of bread and the fruit of the vine, are corporately unified together. We're, we're, we're locking arms together to proclaim the death of Jesus the Redeemer and then anticipate his second coming to realize together as a body of Christ, man, our sufferings are hard right now, but they pale in comparison to the glory that is to come when Jesus Christ comes back. God promised that he would come. He did. He saved us. He gave us the opportunity, and he's coming back to get us. And so in doing, followers of Jesus Christ as a means of grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, we strengthen our faith and we receive a reminder, a a confirmation of the spiritual benefits of our salvation. That's the time that we enter in now. Jesus, when we take away everything else, but we have Jesus, we still have everything. And that's what this, this communion time reminds us of points us to. This is a faith opportunity. It's not just the time to to eulogize Jesus. But we look back, we look to the now, and we look forward to what Jesus is going to do. Because he's already done so much. So I want to give a time just for you to reflect. Ask yourself some of those questions that we've asked ourselves. I have had to do that constantly Chris, why are you trying to to find fulfillment in this pleasure or this control or this achievement? Why? You're made for so much more. Let's take a minute and just reflect. Process within yourself. Let's do that now. So Jesus, when he was in the upper room with his disciples, it was Passover time. This is what they did. And he, he held up his, the, the bread that they eat. I mean, you eat bread with meals, right? But this one meant more. This one meant something different. He was pointing to what was going to be happening here very soon when he was going to be crucified and hung on a cross to be killed, to then raise again. But he was also pointing forward. And the promise that was to come. So he said, boys, this, this, is, this is bread, and you think it's just normal bread, but this is not today. It's, it's, it's reflecting and, and representing my body. It's going to be broken for you. So when you take it and you eat it, Think about it, because you're going to do this in remembrance of me constantly, and this is going to point you back to this point in time when I am the one that's going to be hung on the cross, and I am going to be the one that takes on God's wrath on your behalf because you're made for so much more. So this is his body, which was broken for us. Take it, eat it. But don't do it for yourself. Point to Jesus. Do this in remembrance of him.
And so he continued after they did that, and he held up the, the goblet of wine is probably what it was. And he said, this is, this is not just, just grape juice today, or this is not just wine today, but this is going to represent something. This is going to point you to something bigger because I am going not only to, to, to be broken on your behalf, I'm also going to pour out my life on this cross that's coming. And even that confused him. And because of that, for that, I'm pointing to so much more glory than what you could ever imagine. You are made for so much more. Don't hope for the mud pies and the slums. You're made for so much more. And I'm going to ensure that you're going to do it and you're going to get it. And through that, my body broken and my blood poured out. So take this and do it in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, we just open our hands to you. Uh, we, we proclaim as a congregation that when we come to a realization of who you are and begin to see you for who you are, everything else just kind of pales in comparison. It all falls away. It all becomes hebel. It all becomes meaninglessness. But, oh, God, I still hold on to it so tight. It's offensive to hear that. The things that I have accomplished, the things that I have acquired, the, the, the desires that I have are but meaninglessness when I compare them to you. That you're the giver of all good things. That you're worthy of all my worship. That you're the one that's holy. That you're the one that's mighty. That you're the one that knows all and is in all. Lord, I pray over our congregation that we would not leave here today and just shrug our shoulders and walk off. But Lord, we would dive into your word. That we would come before you as beggars in search of bread. And if you feed the birds of the air and you clothe the lilies of the field beyond anything that can ever be imagined, we are, as you say, worth more than that. So what are you going to do for us, Lord? Lord, we love you. Forgive us of the times that we rest on our own laurels and, and rest on our own ability and wealth and, and, and competence and intelligence. And let us open our hands to you. You're an amazing God. Thank you for the offensiveness of this, this study. Let it propel us forward to fear you, leading to obedience. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.